disruption zone. Opportunity lives where the status quo dies. Talking to the greatest innovators, disruptors, and off-the-wall inventors, we can scrounge up. You laugh, you'll learn, you'll be inspired. Now, here are your hosts, Leland Conway and Cameron Mills. All right, guys, it is the Disruption Zone. I'm Leland Conway. Today's episode, I love. This is this is this is not politics. This is not. You know what this is? This is just special. Um, for the second time on the podcast, we had him on quite a while ago. My friend, Corporal Matthew Bradford, retired United States Marine Corps. Uh, he's a special guy. Uh, in 2005, he enlisted in the United States Marine Corps. He was deployed to Iraq. On January 18th of 2007, he was severely injured when he stepped on an improvised explosive device in Haditha, Iraq. Uh, he lost both legs, both eyes. He was severely wounded internally. He thought he was going to die, and so did everyone around him. But they saved him. Three weeks later, he woke up in the hospital and realized what had happened to him. And you would think, having lost your eyesight and your legs, that you would spiral into this place of despair. Matthew Bradford did the exact opposite. Today, he has an organization called No Legs, No Vision, No Problem. And his entire life and his entire purpose is centered around helping wounded veterans who are struggling with that situation. He's been a guest of President Trump at the um, State of the Union address. Uh, He's been on, I didn't know this until the episode today, he's been on a Celebrity Apprentice. I didn't know that. I had no idea. I've known him for years. I didn't know that. Um, He's attempted twice to climb uh, Mount Rainier with no legs. (laughs) This guy is special. You want to talk about a strong character. Um, you're going to love him. So we're going to have this conversation with him right now. But first, thanks to our sponsor. They make this podcast possible, Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. Um, Guys, I don't talk about businesses I don't fully support. I don't talk about businesses that I haven't either completely researched or worked with in the past. And that is the case with Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. They did our kitchen and master bathroom when we lived in Crestwood. And I'm pretty confident that what they did to our kitchen made that house a quick seller. We sold it in less than a day. It just, your kitchen is the heart of your home. And if you're planning on staying in the home you're in right now for a long time, but you have never updated a kitchen, do that. You'll, it, will, it will change your life. It's amazing. Or if you are planning on getting the heck out of Dodge and you want a quick sell, but you never updated your kitchen, update it. You'll see how quick it will sell. You know, it's worthy uh, to do that. Now, whatever type of countertop surface you're looking for, solid surface, laminate, marble, uh, uh, granite, um, you know, whatever quartz. We went with quartz, loved it. Loved it. So many advantages to quartz. It's slightly more expensive, but the thing about it is it doesn't stain as easy. It's easier to maintain. And nowadays, it used to be quartz would like when it came in just solid colors. Our quartz, nobody knew it was quartz. They all thought it was granite when they came in the house. The designs and patterns in it was pretty amazing. And they've got all those choices for you. So they've got three designers on staff, George Kelly and Michelle. So just stop by the showroom at 6200 Hit Lane and see some of the examples they have laid out for you. Um... And uh, you can talk to those designers. They'll help you with that. Or if you're a contractor or a do-it-yourselfer and you just need some quick cabinets that are high quality but affordable, they got those in stock. So Odom County, Louisville, Southern Indiana, this is your place. 
Go to uh, LouisvilleCabinetsAndCountertops.com or give them a call at 502-930-3304. And now, our conversation with Corporal Matthew Bradford. Matt, I didn't know that for a while you lived in Dinwiddie, Virginia. Yeah, I was actually... It's interesting when people ask where I'm from, I always just say Winchester, Kentucky, because it's it's easier to to get the whole story, you know, because I was born in Petersburg, Virginia. My dad worked at Fort Lee. And uh, when, when my mom and dad got divorced when I was like a year or two old, we moved back here because all my mom's family and even my dad's family is from Kentucky. Yeah. And, uh, and after my ninth grade year in high school, a lot of stuff was going on here with, with me, my mom grades. And my dad realized that I needed to be with him and he moved me back to Dinwiddie and graduated from there and went to MEPS at Fort Lee. Dude, that's that's so awesome. I lived in Richmond for uh, about two years. I did a radio show there, and um, the the area or we were in Chesterfield, which if you're in Dinwiddie, you know where that is. Um, and uh, Fort Lee was, you know, kind of always looming around you, and know, everybody knew where it was. And there's so much military there. It's funny that I live in Colorado Springs now, and this is outside of uh, Virginia. This is the most military place I've ever been. I live. Maybe three or four miles from Peterson Air Force Base, uh, four or five miles from the Air Force Academy, maybe six miles from Fort Carson, maybe three miles from uh, – there's like three or four other air stations. NORAD is here. So it's pretty cool, man. And I love being around uh, the guys and gals that, that fight for our freedom. It's pretty awesome. You know, I just realized uh, one of the – one of he was a staff sergeant – with me but now as a sergeant major he's in charge of the recruiting station there in richmond virginia yeah and i just i just read his signature on his email and i was like whoa you know that's <laughs> my neck of the woods but you know it's uh it's something else when you live that close to a military base you know when i go to fort campbell or camp lejeune or when i travel around with troops first foundation we're on military bases and it's just yeah. it's a different world on there i mean literally that's safe. Definitely, and you know the you can have your doors unlocked. You know yeah. who your neighbors are. You you feel safe. Well, it's funny because we live in a neighborhood that's. I would honestly, if it wasn't for the fact that all the houses are built by a specific builder and all look different, I'd think I was on base housing because literally <laughs> everybody on my street works at Peterson. I mean, because that you know Space Force is probably going to be headquartered here, and they're saying that our city is going to grow by about sixty thousand people over the next five to ten years, just for that alone. Um, but yeah, it's like, I feel like I live on almost base housing, which I love because the neighborhood's super safe Ain't nobody messing with any of the guys on my street. I'm just saying, <laughs> we, yeah, we, I spoke at Paris Island three years ago and me and my wife, that was kind of our first visit to a military base since I got out in 2012. And, and I realized then that like how much we miss the community, how much we miss the Marines and, you know, further either in years or miles from a military base and a military lifestyle, it's like you tend to miss it a lot more. Yeah. Uh, but it's just, I mean, even going to Fort Campbell, Fort Knox, an army base, like I, I miss that. Yeah. You know, that whole, that connection, that camaraderie, the brotherhood, the next door neighbor. Do you get that from a little bit? Like, do you get a little touch of that from your organization? No legs, no vision, no problem. I want to dive into that maybe a little more in depth a little later, but your story is so inspiring, and I, I can't. I have. I. I don't know, man. I've just loved you like a brother from the moment I met you. There's just something special about you, and about your attitude. Um, and I want to kind of get to your organization, but that organization, working with wounded veterans, getting them back out into nature as a group, as a team, does that give you a little bit of that, a taste of that that you miss? It doesn't. It kind of like gives me. Um 
it kind of fills up my, you know, the, the, my purpose, my mission, like what is my goal in life, you know? And, you know, when I look back to 2007, you know, it's all those things that I learned as a Marine that at, at first I didn't think made sense. But then, you know, when I'm going through, you know, double amputations, blind, 20 years old, trying to figure out how I'm going to live my life. It was those Marines who come into my hospital room, those military service members who were there every day, you know, and, and when I kind of got my mind straight and realized that there's opportunity outside the hospital door that, you know, my, my, my team leader, my, the Marines that were in Iraq still fighting, I didn't want to give up and quit on them because, uh, you know, I was fighting for them. I was battling for them. And, and thankfully, um, one of the, well, two of the Marines actually the same company wounded a few months before I did whatever opportunity or whatever chance they had, they would always come by my hospital room. One was uh, shot in the head and the other one lost the leg. Hmm. And it kind of gave me, you know, understanding that, okay, this is going to be a long journey. There's going to be many ups and downs, but there is also, there's going to be light at the end of the tunnel. And, you know, kind of thinking back to when I was in boot camp, they always told us the quickest way off Paris Island is to graduate. Hmm. And I've learned that everything in life is going to be a struggle. It's not going to be this, nicely paved road where you can just walk on a flat surface there's going to be ups and downs there's going to be good times and bad times but you know as long as you keep your feet moving forward then then you're going to finally find that 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 light right and it's just life you know that's how god made it life's not perfect we all know that and you're going to you know find adversity but you just got to keep moving forward when you said the quickest way off paris island is to graduate Reminded me of a coach I had in high school who, whenever I'd whine, because he was real hard on us. Like he was like, "You got to do the, you got to do, you got to get in, you know, shape so that you can keep up your stamina." And we'd be whining, and he'd be like, "Quit whining! You'll pass out before you die." <laughs> it's, yeah. like, it's like the quickest way off, and it's through it. You know what I mean? It's just like it just made me think of that. I don't know why. <laughs> it's, 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 it's interesting because, like, you think about like you know Paris Island. You, you know, three months is how recruit training is. And, right. you know, if, if you go off into, you know, they call it PCP, kind of like if you're overweight or if something happens to you and you or you want to, this isn't what you want. Like, you're not a priority to those drill instructors in the Marine Corps no more. So mm. they're going to put you back, make you do some working parties. You know, that three months is going to turn into four, five, six months. And it, it's just because you're not a priority. It's just. You know, you go down there, you do what you're told. Yes, sir. Yes, man. You know, no, sir. And 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 that's it. You know. And then three right. months later, hopefully, you graduate if you pass all your <laughs> your tests. Right. Um. Let's dive into your story uh, because it's it's so. I you know when I say inspirational, I feel cliche because I hate what happened to you. You know what I mean? I hate it with a passion, and yet I've never met anyone with the challenges that you face that has the kind of attitude that you have that uh, just every every room you walk in the room brightens up it just does people when you when you come into a room people are like something awesome just happened you know um but it started with with a terrible situation of course uh, just to give a little bit of background you you were US marine are a US marine there is no former US marine you you're always a marine you're a retired US marine um you were in uh, Haditha, Iraq. Is that right? That's right. 2007. Yep. Take us away. So, you know, we moved into Iraq in 2006. We were lead to uh, 3rd Battalion, 3rd Marines. And, 
you know, in 2006, right before the surge happened, it was a tough ground. It was tough over there. You know, the, the insurgents pushed really hard. Fallujah, Ramadi, Haditha was kind of like the last stronghold Al-Qaeda held. It was close to the Syrian border, but it also held the largest um, lar- largest dam in the country of Iraq. That if they took control of that, they could have flooded all the way down to Fallujah. And, and you know, we, we walked into that situation, and we knew what we were getting involved with. I mean, getting on the FOB, we got in a firefight. And every patrol was another firefight and IEDs and snipers and, and all these things. Every every afternoon, we'd get mortared. Our FOB was in the middle of town. But, you know, our, our my squad, our squad, second squad, you know, every time we went out, we got engaged into a firefight. I feel like we got shot at more than any other squad in the company. But but every time we left, we come back with the same amount of Marines that we left with. And, you know, on the day of my injury, walk in point, as I always did, next to my team leader on my left and you know, I saw a unique, a suspicious item leaned up against a tree. And as I turned around, let everybody know behind me about this white bag, because, you know, that's how insurgents mark either weapons caches or IED emplacements. That's something suspicious. And a white bag leaned up against a tree was that. And the minute I turned back around and uh, past the compound wall, there was a ditch that laid perpendicular into the road that I was on. And as I looked down, I saw what was laying inside that ditch. And it was the wires going inside of a pipe. And and when I, when I when I talk about it, I was on top of it, I was literally like centimeters on top of it, mm. you know, and it, it exploded directly underneath me. And, um, you know, I sit shrapnel into both my eyes and and I just laid there on the street. But, you know, conscious, I listened to the Marines around me doing what they can to put tourniquets on my legs, to get the litter kit out, to get me on it. And, you know, and, and hearing back, you know, from, from friends who were there that day, just the, the condition I was in, none of the Marines knew I was going to live. They, they didn't think that, you know, one of the Marines, one of my best friends was holding my hand, talking to me, waiting for QRF because they thought that was the last time they would see me. My left leg was ripped off. My right leg was facing a different direction. I mean, I had shrapnel that went into both my eyes. My right hand was damaged. Um, Pretty much my part of my small intestines was taken out. My bladder was ruptured. Everything you could possibly think happened to me that day. But, you know, there was somebody looking out for me. And, you know, it was those it was those angels on the street with me, those Marines, those corpsmen, you know, the good Lord above. And, uh, you know, when I when I woke up three weeks later, I found out what happened to me. And, you know, and, and then then on, I was devastated. I mean, for me, I was a, a 20 year old Marine finally doing what i wanted to do and and for the first time in my life i felt like like i was moving in the right direction i understood what what my goal in life was i was you know uh, i had the opportunity when i was over in iraq that really made me kind of realize that when i got back from iraq i was going to go right into a team leader role i was going to have marines underneath me and i was excited about that Mm. i'm like okay i'm moving up because my ultimate goal was to deploy as many times as possible and, and and stay in the Marine Corps until 20 years or whatever. And now here I am laying in a hospital bed at 20 years old, trying to figure out what I'm going to do with life now with no vision and no legs. And then that was probably the toughest decision. You know, I'm not with my friends. I'm not with my brothers. And then I find out when my dad told me that I lost both my legs, I didn't care nothing for my vision. It was losing my legs. And it just, that killed me. Like I, I remember laying there in that hospital bed just crying, hoping the tear would grow those legs back because you never realized this stuff would happen to you. Like I, I knew being in Iraq, 
I could I could walk away from this deployment alive with my brothers, or I could be carried by you know my Marines in a body bag. And that was my only two goals. That you know, the only two ways I wanted to leave that country. Yeah. Um. So, the the white bag was that like a like like a like a symbol to other extremists? Hey, this is where we put this, and then you guys had just kind of figured out. But was this a decoy? Was it like the white bag against the tree was a decoy for what you actually stepped on? Basically, and, and the white bag was like 30 yards away from the, the ditch, the IED. And um, previous days, there was another patrols going up and down that road, but they were coming from a different direction. So them coming from a different direction, they would have seen the bag first and then, you know, kept on patrolling. And then they'd run into the IED. Right. However, however, we were coming from the opposite direction. So we hit the IED first. And right, then, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. But, um, um, do, do you remember what went through your head when you realized what you'd stepped on before it exploded? Cause you yeah, describe it, you describe it very clearly. I mean, and you know, it's after I got out, after I got hurt, I got, got out of ICU. Like I kept having this image in my head of the white bag and, mm. and the command wires and all this. And, and I never knew what it was until, uh, it was April of 2007 when a couple of my friends who, um, they, they got back from Iraq. They traveled down to Richmond, Virginia at the VA to, to stay with me for a day. And, and one of the Marines who was there was the one that was holding my hand. And he told me, he told me, he was like, yeah, you know, from what we remember is, you know, you turned around and you warned everybody of a white bag. And then the minute you turned back around, the bomb went off. And then I realized like, that's, that's the image that's in my head, the white bag and the command wires. And, um, you had to have but, saved lives. You you had to have saved lives by warning others. There were there had because because when somebody yells, you know, get down or something like that, the instinctive reaction is to take cover. You had to have saved lives. And you know, our our squad was very disciplined. Like you know, on those patrols, you try to stay as far as away from each other as possible. So if something like that does happen, then then the guys behind you don't get hurt. Mm -hmm. And so we were spread out pretty good. And, you know, my team leader to the left took strapped on his right calf. And it's, you know, we did a double stack column. You know, there were so many danger zones in Iraq. So there'd be, right. we'd double up one on the right side of the road, one on the left side of the road. And, um, and it's, and you know, a lot of the, the compound wall right there took a lot of the blasts as well. But, you know, from what they said, the pipe that the, the IED was in was pretty much what took my leg off. Yeah. Wow. So your eyes, can you see anything at all? I can't. I see a gray screen with a bunch of white dots. Wow. Wow. What about, have you heard about some of the advances in technology that can, I mean, is there hope that maybe 10, 20 years from now, you might be able to repair those eyes? Maybe. I've had a lot of people reach out and, um, you know, friends that have done like research, mm -hmm. you know, about like what's going on and, I've kind of come to the point now that if if I if I do fall into that line and I and I do try to you know save my one eye, mm -hmm. then then I want to make sure that it's going to give me what I want. Like right now, I've gone through the blind rehab center, and I've lived this way for thirteen, almost fourteen years now, and mm -hmm. and a lot of the things that I do, like I feel like when I open my eyes, I can see, mm -hmm. you know, because I, I'm so comfortable. I've learned everything I can to the best of my own abilities, and. And I've done well with it. 
that you know and, and i have you know i call it my one good eye right you know and i can't see out of it but i don't want to do anything where it's going to be my second prosthetic eye right I, I it's i know this is weird to say but as a friend like it's i i hope this comes across the right way it's easy to forget you're blind because you're so comfortable with how you live life you know does that make sense like it's it's, it, it, it's easy I, there's been times i've almost texted you something and been like wait <laughs> you know it's like oops i, I you know it's like because because it's easy to forget that because you are so adept at getting around it's honestly if you're wearing jeans on the street nobody's going to know that you don't have legs you're so adept at it you are really when you watch you work out when i watch those videos you post <laughs> of you working out i'm like damn i wish i could have that good a form <laughs> well you know that's the, the um that's actually two of the things that like when I first went through rehab and I learned how to walk is, you know, my goal is like, it doesn't matter if it's a cane or whatever. Um, I'm going to walk to the best where people, when they look at me with pants on, they can't tell. Right. And it's, it's funny when I, when I started going to school and I always wore jeans the first few days, just so nobody could tell. And then that one day when I wear shorts, they're like, Holy crap, this guy has no legs. <laughs> but then, but then um, when I always introduce myself or meet people for the first time, I never tell them I'm blind right? because I love messing with people. Right. I love seeing how far it can go. <laughs> I think that's what I love about you. It's that humor about it. It's so funny. You got to tell, tell people about the uh, your fake eye, the, the, the various selections that you have when you get up in the morning, which one you'll put in. I love this. Well, it's funny because like when, <laughs> gosh, this is probably four months after I was injured. I went to the optometrist there in Bethesda and the lady said if, if we could – if we can put a design on any eyeball, as long as it looks good and we minimize it. And from then on, I was like sold. Like, let's start getting <laughs> some designs. And I always tell people, I'm like, I'm like a, a female with shoes. Like my, my eyeballs are going to match what shirt I'm wearing. <laughs> Don't you have one that's got like Osama bin Laden in a target? <laughs> I do. With, <laughs> with the, the, it's got the bullseye on his forehead. <laughs> And then you, you've of course got the Marine logo and the UK Kentucky Wildcat logo. I love it. Yeah. Then right now I got my boring blue eye in. I I need to get a new one made, and I, I'm I'm debating if I want to get like a, another UK one or the Marine Corps one. I'm kind of leaning towards the Marine Corps. Yeah. But it's 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 funny because my my wife has only put my eye in one time, and the optometrist was was there, and I was like fooling around my eye one morning when I woke up, and it, it popped out, and I'm like, oh boy. And and like she she went to go grab everything and you know the eyes the, the suction and all this and and here she is trying to like put my eye in and she's like tearing up crying and and my daughter Layla is sitting right there next to her, like mommy why are you crying she's like I don't want to hurt daddy and and then she finally gets the eye in but the suction doesn't release from the eye mm. so now I got this thing sticking out of my eye and. She basically had to pull the eye out and put it back in. Thankfully, the suction went off the second time. But as she's, like, cleaning up the mess or cleaning up the eyes and everything, like, my daughter grabs the suction and, like, starts opening up my other eye. She's like, okay, let's take this one out. And it's like, no, honey, that one doesn't come out. That <laughs> doesn't one's come out. Yeah. Does it hurt to put it in and out? No. It, it feels weird at first. Yeah. But then you kind of get used to it. And, yeah. um, you know, that's the one thing they told me early on that, it's like it's the best thing is not to take it in and out every day because right. it extends the eyelids and it's not good for your eye. Right. That's um, that's fascinating. Um. So let's first of all, before we get into no legs, no vision. Your wife, she's so sweet. Um, thank you. How did you meet her? So um, when I moved 
to send or when I moved to Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, after I reenlisted, it was just uh, one of the things she was living there. She was, uh, uh, it was just like kind of fell and like we just met and, and, and I wasn't in the position where I wanted to settle down or anything. And like the minute I met her, I just, I realized then that like she's the one, you know, and it's funny, yeah. you see the stuff on TV and you, you think it's stuff that's only happens on TV or in books. And, but I just felt it right then. And um, we we become really close friends. She kind of helped us get used to, uh, you know, accustomed to living in Jacksonville, North Carolina, Camp Lejeune, and we just become friends. And um, next thing, you know, here we are. I propose a year later, and basically another year later, we get married in Emerald Isle, North Carolina. Mm. That's but awesome. she's been she's been the rock, the motivation through all of this, and um, you know, she's very selfless. She's put her life on hold to get me where I need to go and our kids. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's truly amazing. You know, how many kids do you have? We got three. Um, so yeah. Um, Um, so let's talk about no legs, no vision, no problem. I absolutely love this. Um, kind of reminds me of Jocko Willink, you know, when he had that video where, talking about all the bad things that can happen to you in your life. And he's like, good. <laughs> you know, and It, it kind of has that feel to it because uh, it's almost shocking to have an organization named No Legs, No Vision, No Problem. You know, I, I like, of course, I, I like Kenny Chesney. So I kind of that's yeah. where I kind of like got it from. But I, I don't remember when it was 2013 or 2014. And I just I think I was doing an race or marathon and I just put it out there on, on, on one of my Facebook posts and it kind of stuck. But then, like, later on, I realized that, you know, with the, the prosthetic legs, the no legs, it's kind of like, okay, this is who I am. You know, i got to be comfortable in my own skin. The legs aren't growing back. But the one thing with the two prosthetic feet are those feet are always facing forward. And, you know, with the whole talk about just walking, like the feet are facing forward so I can just walk. Right. When it comes to, like, the no vision, you know, I'm hopeful one day that when I do open my eyes, I could see. Mm-hmm. You know, I could see our kids, our wife, and stuff like that. But you know what? While I'm here now with no vision... I want to live every day I can to its fullest. I want to live life like I have vision. Right. And I'm going to take advantage of all these opportunities and blessings that I've been given. And, you know, with all that together, just yeah, I wake up, I'm motivated to attack whatever obstacle comes my way and, and live life with no problems. Like I understand that we all struggle and we all face difficult days, but there's ways to overcome that. Yeah. And, and, and it, it automatically, you know, it's a positivity. It's being optimist. You know, when I, when I give public speaking, engagements I always talk about like you know you always have values you know honor courage commitment in the marine corps adapt and overcome but you know i kind of come up with my own and it's basically you know to wake up every day motivated to you know be motivated and be have a positive attitude right you know because i realized you know early on like if you walk in any situation with a negative attitude negative attitude then you're you're automatically setting yourself a failure you're gonna you're not gonna succeed you know to be resilient when god throws you these obstacles you know and to invest Anything that I want, you know, if I'm going to go do a marathon, I'm going to invest the time and effort into making sure that when I go out there, I start and I finish, you know, and to never quit and also to enjoy every minute of life. And M-A-R-I-N-E, that spells Marine. To me, that's all the motivation I need to get through each day. Like, I know that title. I don't wear the uniform, sadly, now, but I take that title to my grave. As you mentioned earlier, once a Marine, always a Marine. And, uh, you know, every day is combat. It's a battle. We're going to face these demons. You know, we got to face them together. I got a group of friends that that I could call, you know, my wife and kids, my support system, 
you know, and it, it helps me get me through. They're my battle buddies, my fire team, you know, and it's just using everything I learned as a Marine to help me get through today, right now, and these challenges. Um, You guys are getting veterans who have disabilities or struggles out into the wild, into the wilderness. You recently were involved in a trip to Mount Rainier. You've done these amazing uh, bike rides, hikes, walks. Um, tell me a little bit about some of the stuff that your organization does and why you do it. When I first got hurt and I got my mind in the right direction and I realized that, okay, first I want to re-enlist, but I want to make sure before I can go out and, and, and give back, to serve others, to better others, then I need to make sure I'm serving myself and bettering myself. But I also realized that just because I have no legs and no vision doesn't mean I can't live a normal life. That right. if it's out there, I want to have the opportunity to do it. And I know that, that sometimes it might be tough and it might be challenging. But, you know, at the end of the day, I want to give everything I have to make sure I accomplish the goal. Because not only do, do I, you know, do it for myself, but I just I just want to prove to, you know, that that just because you have these injuries, it doesn't stop you from living life. Like mm. if it's surfing or if it's jumping out of a plane, it's we could still do all that stuff. Right. And, you know, when I was in San Antonio, I went on my first hunting trip with the, with some guys and, and these guys never opened up in therapy. They're quiet, but I remember sitting around a campfire and, 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 and they just, you know, maybe it's a hunting trip or a fishing trip. And, and these guys just never stopped talking after that. Mm-hmm. And, and you see how important it is to be outdoors, to be in, you know, out in the woods somewhere and, and what it can do to a veteran, especially someone who's struggling, you know, it's, it, it kind of eases the mind, you know, and it relaxes you and, and, and soothes you. You know, and it's just being out there with your brothers out in the outdoors is is the most important part, you know, for us to be together, for us to, you know, be social with each other. And it's and it, it saves lives. Right. You know, and so I think you, that's the most. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Oh, and I, I feel like, you know, for because today's generation of veterans, like I, I love the VFWs, I love the American Legions, but. You know, we don't want to go to the VFW and sit around the bar and have drinks all day long. We want to get out and do things, you know, and we want to be out in the woods. We want to go climb mountains. And and, and, I, and that's the important part in understanding and letting people know that just because you have no legs, you don't have an arm, you're burned. Those disabilities, they're, you know, they doesn't mean you can't live life, you know. And it's, uh, so, you know, that's why I enjoy getting out. I enjoy I realized that, you know, pain is only temporary. You know, the, the biggest pain in the world is when you go do something and you decide that you can't do it no more and you quit. Right. That that sticks with you a lot longer than, you know, a bruised leg or blood coming from your, you know, hand or whatever. Yeah. Tell me about climbing Mount Rainier. Well, that mountain's got me twice. <laughs> yeah, so you've, we gone, were... you've gone on it twice. You haven't yet been able to summit, but it's been because of extenuating circumstances, so... Yeah, and then we were going to go out there this last year, and we're actually kind of in the, um, you know, everything's up in the air right now, but but deciding if I want to do it this year. And, you know, there's there's no, like, ifs, and or buts. If I want to do it, I want to climb a mountain. I want to summon a mountain. But, and I'm not going to find a mountain that's, you know, smaller than Mount Rainier, you know. Right. it's But it's just the fact of being out there, you know, with, with your brothers and, and doing something that, that you enjoy doing and just living life yeah. and taking how, advantage of 
how did you climb? Oh, well, walk. <laughs> right. No, but, but I, I mean, in all seriously, like, how did that mechanically, how did you get through the more technical parts of that climb? What, what was it? What was the big challenge there? The, um, the second year was the weather. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we woke up, we were, you know, 7,500 feet up and, I mean, it, it's interesting because that's the one thing with Mount Rainier is the it's the weather, and I mean, it was snowing, windy, rainy, right? And and the best option was just to get off that mountain, right? And the, the first year was um, our trip was kind of cut short, so we weren't we weren't actually going to summit the first year, but we um, we did about a three mile hike up, camped out, and just kind of did a lot of walking, you know, hiking in the woods, just to kind of getting used to the, uh, the, the elevation yeah. and the, out, yeah, again, you saw all that stuff. So how does but that, so, how does, how do you do in that, out, 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 that altitude? Does it bother you at all? Does it, it didn't bother me where we were at. Um, and that, that's my biggest worry because I got strapped on my head like, a, right. and I know when it gets super cold outside, sometimes it kind of, I could feel it. Mm. It starts to bother me a little bit, but, yeah. um, you know, I've never, but you know, around seventy five hundred feet like that, I was feeling perfectly fine. Right. And you know, when when we did the, I did a sixteen mile march out in Utah in September, and we were, what I think five to six thousand feet up there, and it didn't bother me at all either. So I think, I think my body is pretty adjusted to it. Maybe just, uh, you know, staying in shape and staying active in the gym. Um. There's a. I'm trying to figure out what the name of it is. There's something. Uh. Man, I'd love to. I'd love to have you come out here to Colorado Springs and let's do the incline together. Cows, um, I'd be all up for that. <laughs> yeah, that. Have you have you been to the incline? Have you seen it? Have you done it? Have you tried to climb it before? I haven't. Uh, it's you it's know, two thousand seven hundred and forty one steps. It's two thousand feet of elevation and just under a mile. It's an old oh. cog railroad. That used to take people up to the top of Hikes Peak. They have a new one now, but the old one. What they did is there's this extremely steep buttress at the foot of Pikes Peak, and they just left the old cog railway uh, railroad ties in place, and it just goes straight up. And <laughs> yeah, it's it's one hell of a workout. A lot of the Air Force guys use it. Uh, you know, they'll 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 go up and up and down it. Um, it's very difficult and challenging but the payoff when you get to the top you know is is pretty amazing and uh, i would love i would love to do that with you that would be a blast yeah that would be awesome i would i would be all for that yeah <laughs> so what's your next big project what are you up to next so we've been doing a lot of you know with this pandemic i actually got a, a job with troops first foundation oh cool and um so we do a lot it's a nonprofit 501c3 but 911 veterans and, and some of their big programs is Operation Proper Exit, where they send severely wounded over to Iraq or Afghanistan or the place of their injury, kind of give them that, that proper exit, that welcome home that they never got because they were either medevaced or they were, you know, unconscious, you know, when they were leaving the country. I did my trip to Iraq in 2011. That's what, 60 minutes aired. And then um, had a chance to go to Afghanistan in 2017 with them as well as kind of like a mentor. But, uh, you know, unfortunately, we can't do those programs right now because of, you know, troops in Iraq and Afghanistan and, and of course with the pandemic, but, um, so they got another one called operation warrior call and that's to go around, speak at town halls about uh, military installations, about military suicide, mm. you know, to make a call and take a call and be honest, you know, make sure that you're checking in on your brothers and sisters once a week. And, um, you know, and if they call you in, no matter what time of the day it is, answer your phone call. I've had a friend, um, back in 2014, I believe, 
he uh, he called me about a week and a half before Thanksgiving, and I selfishly let the phone call go to voicemail, and I never called him back. And the day after Thanksgiving, he took his life. Mm. So I feel like when you know that's uh, he was a really good friend of mine, and um, it was very sad to hear that. And you know, I don't know what that phone call could have meant. I don't know if he if he was going to call or, but you know, maybe it was just hearing my voice could have you know done something, changed his life, you know, saved his life, and. So, you know, we go around um, and speak at military installations. There's a Leroy Petrie, Medal of Honor recipient. He's the national spokesman. So it'd be him, me, a couple of Sergeant Majors, and a couple other uh, wounded veterans. We'll talk about resiliency, overcoming adversity, kind of ways that has helped us, you know, kind of, kind of defeat the demons every now and then, you know, and talk about suicide. Because cause I know when I was in the military, like, I never knew where the, the chaplain's office was, where the counselors were, and. Right. And honestly, I felt like if you reached out to anybody, you felt like you were weak or a coward. Right. So, and, and you know, right now, you know, we're really trying to push the whole Operation Warrior Call to make a call and, you know, contact as many friends as possible because, you know, it's very sad with all the deaths going on right now through this pandemic. But the one thing that the one number they tend not to mention is the veteran suicide. And, you know, I've lost four friends already this year alone. So. I think before the pandemic, wasn't the number like 22 per day? Has it has it gone up during the pandemic? You know, that, that's the number they say, and I, I don't know why, where 22 come from, but I've always heard, you know, up, upwards towards 30, you know. And, right. and it's just, I mean, you think of the pandemic and it's like everything that they want us to do right now where we're staying isolated and, you know, quarantine and all this, it's like – when, when somebody talks about suicide or committing suicide, the one thing they always do is isolate themselves. Right. You know, and, and for for anyone in the military, that if, if you're alone, you know, and you isolate yourself, you're automatically, I mean, every veteran, I'm sure, has guns. You got alcohol. There's nothing else to do. Right. And then you got thoughts in your head, you know, and, and we all want to be social. And we all want to be around each other. You know, and, you know, you talk about the medication and the how therapeutic it is to be around someone else. Mm-hmm. But now you're stuck inside and you're stuck away from everybody. And, you know, it's it's we need to find ways to stay in touch with our guys, you know, you guys and girls. You lost four friends this year alone to suicide? Yeah, four of them. <sighs> wow. Um, That's heartbreaking. Um, and, and it's, it's even sad. It's sad because it's like there's no specific rank or age right you know and and you know there's you know one was they've all had kids very young kids and it's and 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 the first and two of them were you know doing really well you know one went out for an iron man a few years ago and always walked the marine corps marathon 10k and the other one was a public speaker you know and it's really big in their communities yeah. So it, it, it doesn't matter if you, you know, if, if people can sense that you're struggling. I mean, I always tell people you can cover up a lot with just saying hello and put a smile on your face. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was talking to a former special forces friend of mine. And one of the things that he said to me, he said, Leland, he said, what you have to understand, especially with special forces, but also with, with, you know, other military, what he was talking about was, He's like, with special forces, they could be in country shooting Osama bin Laden in the head one day, and the next day they're back home with their kids at McDonald's ordering Big Macs. Yep. And he said the whiplash from that was 
incredibly difficult to try to mesh into society. And then also for, you know, the rest of the military is the same way. You're in combat for two years, three years, whatever. And then you come home and there is no combat. And not only is there no combat, but it's as if it's as if nothing that you did was actually happening. You know what I mean? In terms of how we view sometimes we have lived ever since 19, you know, 92 and the or 91 or whatever it was when we first invaded Iraq years ago under Bush. That was the first war we watched on TV. My dad and I sat up and watched it on CNN. Mm-hmm. And I remember my dad saying he's an Air Force veteran. I remember him just kind of shaking his head going, this is I've never seen anything like this before. I'm actually watching, you know, a war unfold on television. And it's almost as if we've now because of that, that 24 hour news cycle, we sort of partition it off. The war is there, but it's like a TV show, you know, as yep. opposed to a reality. And so then you guys come back in from having experienced the reality of war. And we're all like, oh, that's cool. You're on that one TV show, right? And yeah. is, do you think that's what maybe drives some of that sort of feeling of isolation and separatism? And then, of course, at the end of the day, now we have the pandemic to double down on that. You know, you, you think about the military and you think about deployed troops and it's just the lifestyle that we live on a military base. Like we're we're separated from everybody, like the civilian side. Right. You know, and 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 the ones that wear the uniform are the only ones who understand us. So, like, you know, when we step off a military base and we step out in society, it's we automatically feel different. Like people are staring at us because we do live life differently, you know? And, and then we see, you know, people who are immature, who aren't as disciplined as us. And, you know, the way we carry ourselves with each other, you know, if somebody screws up, we're going to call them out right in their face. Yeah. Can't do that in society because I mean, there's, well, you know, unless the, you're a Karen and a Kroger with a face mask issue. Yeah. You know, you're, you're, <laughs> you're the, I always, always, I like the word and, the snowflake word yeah. I mean, it's, it's i mean it's you know you get around a bunch of military guys and and yeah we'll goof off joke around and stuff and, and people look at us like we're crazy but then it's like you, you can't do that when you're around other people right like you know I, when i went to uk it was my goodness i'd hear some of the stories from the 18 19 year olds and it was just <laughs> grief you know and suck it up buttercup <laughs> exactly you know and it's like yeah exactly yeah. Let me and, tell you about hard. Yeah, you know, and it's like there's there's no like hurting your feelings. It's like you know, I know you mentioned it the other day, and I agree. Like I'm a realist as well. Yeah. Like you know, I'm going to tell you how I feel, and I, I see like what's going on, and and I'm going to give the 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 real world side of it, the real right. factor of it, you right. know. And right. I tell you, like when I was deployed to Aditha, like it it was a danger zone. I mean, we casualties and you know all of this stuff going on, but. You know, we were separated away from the world. We were in a fob in the middle of town. It was just us. You know, the only way we can contact home is the letters in the mail, and we occasionally had, like, a satellite phone. Right. But it's like, I enjoyed that. I missed that. And, um, you know, and, and I know a lot of the guys, and you talk about some Vietnam veterans. I mean, yeah, well, Vietnam was horrible, but God, look what they had to come home to. Right. Like, right. I'm sure a lot of them would be like, well, I'd rather go back to Vietnam than come home. Right. Honestly. Yeah, it's weird how we've, you know, I I've, I actually had the opportunity, it was really an honor of a lifetime, uh, to go on an honor flight. Oh, yeah. Um, yep. And we had veterans from mostly World War II, which was just 
oh my God, you want to talk about a humbling experience. Sit with a guy who was a gunner on a plane over Italy and got shot down. Oh, gosh. You know what I mean? Like, wow, dude, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm nothing. <laughs> um, yeah. 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 But I was actually drawn to, there was Korean War veterans as well and also Vietnam. And I was actually drawn to the Vietnam veterans. They seemed to sort of hold off by themselves. Then, and I was talking to one of them and, and he kind of opened up to me a little bit and he was like, we don't feel like we deserve this because of how we were treated when we came home. And you kind of juxtapose that with now, where it's like we make a big show of supporting our veterans, but it's kind of that, oh, yeah, you guys are the celebrities from the TV show because it's not real to us that you've been fighting a war that's stopping terrorists from coming to our shores, right? So there's like, while we we play homage to honoring you, do we really? And it's like, which one, you know, you have the – getting spit upon because people were stupid and blamed the soldiers for the war to now it's like, yeah, we have this big honor thing, but sometimes the honor is fake. It's like, yeah, all the celebrities have to do, Hey, honor the veterans. But then do they really mean it? Do they really care? Have they really seen what you've been through? That kind of thing. Exactly. It's just, uh, you know, some, in some, some sides it's a, it's a vote. It's to make me look good while I'm sitting next to a veteran. Yeah. And you know, that's virtue signaling. Yeah, when I when I worked for the congressional office, you know, I I met a lot of Vietnam veterans, and you know, the guys that who actually served in Vietnam were so humbling. You know, it's like they were not the ones frustrated. You know, that they haven't heard anything from the disability claims, or they would call a check in, they didn't hear nothing. They're like, okay, you know, and they go back doing their own thing. You know, a lot of the it wasn't those guys. They were so humbling. They were down to earth for everything they had to deal with. Very yeah. grateful right. for their service. You know, and you know, the Korean War veterans, it's a, a war that a lot of people, you know, they tend to forget about now, yeah. you know, and, yeah. and it's it's sad. You know, you think about World War Two, and then you think of Vietnam, you kind of forget to overlook Korea. But, right. yeah. you know, and somebody, uh, um, I was thinking this the other day, like when, when people, you know, they thank me for my service and like how how I feel about that. And, and for me, it's like, I, I mean, I love it. I like because it's still good to see the appreciation and the yeah. thankfulness of others. Cause I remember what it was like after nine 11, all the yellow, the ribbon magnets, the flags flying and how right. everybody was so, yeah. everybody was out there. But, you know, I, I think about it and it's like, you know, I, I'm, I'm grateful and thankful for, you know, people like yourself, for people who write, you know, like, you know, I'm close friend, Toby Keith, you yeah. know, patriotic songs, people who actually mean it and come from the heart because, yeah. You know, at the end of the day, what my legacy and what probably a lot of my brothers and sisters legacies is that American flag still flying on top of the flagpole. That's right. my legacy. Right. You know, and and for people to still recognize us and honor us. But as long as that flag still flies, that at the end of the day, that makes me happy. Right. That makes me understand that what I served and what I did, it, you know, truly, you know, it, 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 it did its job, yeah. you know, and and it's for the upcoming, you know, it's further generations that will you know, live on, Yeah. you know, as long as that flag is up top. So tell me about meeting President Trump. You were invited uh, to be his guest at a State of the Union address. What was that like? You know, it was, uh, it's funny because in 2008, I was on Celebrity Apprentice with Trace Atkins and Pierce Morgan. So I got a chance to meet him before he even thought about running for president. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. You never told me but, that. <laughs> that's but, pretty cool. <laughs> I got back from Afghanistan and I was actually, um, I was sitting in Andy Barr's office and, I got a call from Raquel, who's the Truth First Foundation, and said the Secretary of the VA is looking for somebody to come to this, you know, 
for we could, you know, to, to recommend your name to the president for the state of the union. And I put your name down for the adversity and, and how you overcome it. And, you know, I realized then that, you know, I, I, I just want to be, you know, someone who served this country as a Marine, Matthew Bradford is who I want to be. And, you know, I, I live my life, you know, as you know, because I want to live a normal life and for, you know, to go out and understand that like people see me, they look up to me and, and use my story to live a better life. Right. And, you know, if, if anything, when I go out and speak, it might not be, you know, a hundreds or two hundreds of people, but there's always one or two people in the room that my story can touch and that it can like change their lives and live a better life. Yeah. You know, and to be recognized for, you know, simply living my life and just living my life positively, you know, with all the hope in the world, optimistic and, you know, it meant a lot. You know, I met when I met President Trump, he was he shook my hand. He asked me and my wife more about our family than my military service. Mm. And and to me that meant the world. You know, and but just to you know, to be in my dress blues, uh, you know, the Marine Corps is all about history. Yeah. To wear that uniform in the Capitol for the State of the Union address. <laughs> like I mean, it's just it doesn't get much better than that. And I'm so grateful for, you know, for everyone who's worn the uniform before me. And when I put that uniform on, I want to make sure that that it's dressed up like it should be, you know, because yeah. it's honoring 245 years of Marine Corps service to this country. And, you know, at the end of the day, like when I, when, when my time has come, I had the chance to serve. And to me, that, that means everything. That's awesome. Uh, as a president, does he have a, does he have a strong handshake or a weak handshake? I think it's, I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember now. Um, <laughs> I'm always fascinated by that. You know, there's the there's the too strong of a handshake. There's the strong handshake. Then there's the limp fish. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I think it was kind of. I think it's kind of right in the middle. Right in the know? middle. Right in the middle. Yeah, gotcha. Listen, man, it's so great talking to you. Um, as a way of wrapping it up, I want people to go to your website. It's um, no legs, no vision, no problem, or Matthew Bradford.com, um, and you can keep up with your events. Is there other ways that people can get a hold of you and help you out with your projects? I know you have a lot of cool stuff going on, and you're constantly finding ways to help veterans, especially wounded veterans. How can people follow you and get to know what projects are coming up and ways that they can support those projects? I think the the website, of course, but then the, um, the website has the email that if for any speaking engagements, for anything, just email me. Perfect. But the Facebook page, No Legs, No Vision, No Problem. I'm on Instagram and Twitter. So I do, I'm very active on social media, especially right now. And, um, but you know, it's just, you know, for everybody out there, you know, it's, uh, just do what you can to help out someone else, you know, and, you know, for all the veterans out there, you know, if you, if you're struggling, if you need help, contact somebody, you know, you're, you're not any, you're not weak. You're not a coward. You know what? That's why they have counselors and therapists, you know, for us to go talk and, um, you know, I feel like that's the most important thing. And, you know, I always tell my friends that, you know, my phone's always on. My email's always right there on my phone. So if you need anything, please reach out. Yeah. And um, it, it's just, you know, the way everything's going right now is just we need to stay united and we need to be together with each other. And we yeah. need to learn to reach out and talk to each other. And, um, you know, we got to get through this together. So totally agree. I, yeah. 
So. Well, listen, man, I love you, buddy. It's so great talking to you again. Um, thanks for popping on here because, uh, like I said, every room you walk in, you make it better. So you you make the podcast better just by being on it, my friend. Well, thank you so much for having me on. And uh, any other anytime you want to sit and chat, always available. You got it, brother. All right, keep safe. Talk to you soon. All right, see you later, Leland. Um, what a cool guy. I love that guy. Um, so inspirational. Um, you know, whenever I get into a situation where I feel like I'm, um, you know, I'm challenged by something or I can't do something, I always think of my buddy Matt, and I'm like, you know what? Matt is out there grinding away day after day, and he doesn't have an attitude problem. How can I sit here uh, with an attitude problem? And it's just, it's he's such an inspiring guy. I love him, and um, follow him at Matthew Bradford or Matthew Bradford.com. Uh, go to hashtag no legs, no vision, no problem. You'll find him that way on social media. Just a terrific guy. So love, love, loved this episode. All right. I want to thank our sponsor, Louisville Cabinets and Countertops, for their help with this program. Uh, they are the best. And I mean that because I've actually worked with them. I'm not just saying that because they sponsor the show. I don't talk about businesses that I don't fully support. And Tim Montgomery has put together a heck of a machine at Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. Here's the deal. If you're a contractor and all you're interested in is just picking up some affordable, high-quality cabinets that are ready right now, pop by and get it, or even a do-it-yourselfer. Or if you're like me and you're somebody who doesn't want to touch a project like this but wants it done, maybe start to finish, call them or stop by their showroom at 6200 Hit Lane right on the border of Oldham County and Louisville and talk to Michelle, Kelly, or George. They're three designers they have on staff. And they're going to take care of you and walk you through uh, the best design for your kitchen. And you can literally just hand them the keys and walk away. It's called a turnkey kitchen remodel. So you can call them at 502-930-3304. They did our kitchen. I'm confident it was part of the reason why our house sold so fast when we put it on the market. If you're in southern Indiana, um, it, Louisville, Louisville or Odom County, Louisville Cabinets and Countertops is your place to check that out. So check them out again. It's 502-930-3304 or LouisvilleCabinetsAndCountertops.com. Big thanks to JP Web Design, also to uh, Dynamics Audio Productions uh, for their help. My co-executive producer, Cameron Mills, he's going to be back on with us for the 150th episode coming up here in just six more episodes. So that should be fun. Um, and a big thanks to you for the growing number of downloads to this podcast. Please share it with your friends. It's an easy, uh, free download, and you can get it at Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or iHeartRadio. Just search the Disruption Zone, sign up, and it will have free episodes delivered. Every time we put a new one up, it'll be delivered straight to your phone. So please help us with that because every listen counts. Uh, so thanks for doing that. I am Leland Conway. You are listening to The Disruption Zone.